right, so we're back today with episode seven, I think it is, of Chargers Lately, and I brought my good friend Gavino Borquez back onto the show to discuss our overall thoughts on the 2020 draft hall of the Chargers. And you know, at first, I was actually going to do this uh, two days ago, one day ago, just by myself to kind of recap it, but I thought, look, everyone's kind of heard my thoughts on this draft hall, whether it's they've read the work on Bolts in the Blue or they've listened to you know, my instant reactions and my thoughts right after the picks were made this past weekend. And I thought, you know, let's bring another voice back into the fold. And, and Gavino did such a good job last time he was on. Good friend of mine. Of course, I wanted to have him back on. So here he is. Uh, Gavino, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. Obviously, we have the post-draft blues right now. We're kind of just examining what the Chargers got in their hall of six players, not seven, after trading away their day two picks. And just kind of evaluating what they got and just looking ahead to the future in, in hopes that there's a training camp and mm-hmm. let alone just a season. I think there's going to be a season, but training camp remains up in the air. Yeah, I was listening to some of the past press conferences recently from, from Lynn and Telesco. And Telesco mentioned how, like, within the next week or so, normally, they'd be having their, I think, their rookie mini camp. And, and this would be like, the first chance we would get to see the players in some form of a Chargers jersey. We get to see them in a Chargers helmet. And a lot of that stuff would become real, right? You know, it's, we, we just saw the draft. They drafted these players. But it's, you know, until we see them in the Chargers colors, see them in the uniform of some way, uh, it doesn't seem real. And what sucks is due to the current circumstances, it, it's just not going to seem real probably for a lot longer, right? You know, and that's a weird thing to think that maybe – a month or two, we still haven't seen these new Chargers in actual Chargers gear out on the field running around doing drills and the like. So it's definitely going to be odd, um, but it is an exciting draft haul. If there's one thing to be said about the consensus uh, on this draft haul is that there wasn't a consensus. It was fairly polarizing. You either really loved it or you were pretty down on it. And if you looked at some of the draft grades from across social media, ESPN, Bleach Report, all that, you'd get as high as an A-plus, I think, Chad Reuter of, I believe it was, CBS Sports, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he had uh, the Chargers really high, and then if you were pro football focused, you had them with a C-minus, which I believe was the, the, the lowest grade given to this draft class. And I think this draft class depends on how you view Herbert, how you view the value that they traded away for Murray, and whether or not their late picks were picks worth uh, their value. Because, you know, just to point one out, the six-round pick was Alohi Gilman, the safety out of Notre Dame, that many thought was odd because they don't need any more safeties. But if you hold the Chargers special team unit in general to a higher standard and want them to have the best players available, then using an actual draft pick on that, uh, you know, might be worth it. And that's something we'll obviously get in later as we go down the picks. Um, but it's polarizing. Right. So um, before we get going on each pick individually, just give us your overall thoughts on the entire draft class. Yes. To sum up how I thought or how I felt about the Chargers draft hall, um, you know, I didn't give them a grade. So I wrote wrote an article and I gave out awards because Mm -hmm. we we see grades just thrown around there. And I feel like it's not really fair. Uh, For me, I'm not a big fan of player comps either and for some reason I'm not a big fan of grades either because it will stir up a lot Uh, people will get mad and I'm not a a firm believer of doing that general so I wanted to make it fair 
But if I were to give it a grade, I would probably say a solid B. Um, I love the Justin Herbert pick. I do think the pick of Kenneth Murray is a solid one indeed. But the fact that they had to give up both day two selections was just kind of puzzling. And just sitting there on day two, and I'm sure you're like it, like this too, Mike. It's you're just you felt like you're missing out on a lot. And the Chargers and the 49ers were the only two teams in the NFL that did not have a day two selection. So I just felt kind of left out, wondering what players they could have gotten with those two selections. And um, you know, it did start to like bother me a little bit, wondering. They missed out on these guys as they were taken. It's like, oh, shoot, these teams are getting steals because they were graded out as potential first-rounders. They ended up going, like, round three. So there was just a lot of talent on day two that you, we were wondering, you know, had they had stayed put, they could have taken. So, you know, we'll get into it a little bit later, but they could have addressed the offensive line. Maybe they could have taken a cornerback come day two. But I would say that – kind of factored into my grade of giving the Chargers a B simply because they just traded away two selections where you could get excellent value. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of the negative views and thoughts about the draft class stemmed from um, what they gave up to go get Kenneth Murray. And um, I can't remember the exact source. I want to say it was Warren Sharp with Sharp Football or, or one, uh, another one of those analytical um, companies where they had the graph and it showed you which, how teams came ahead or behind in terms of the draft value that they started with. And I think the Ravens or Vikings had the highest, right, with what they started with, they turned it into 15 picks. They started with, I think it was 12 or 13 turned to 15 and they were by far at the top. And then the chargers were at the very bottom on the other side of the spectrum. So what, what they started with their seven picks turned into six players and the value and what they did caused them to be so far behind. And um, that's what I think PFF looks into that they, and they, they're based off their board, right? So, um, and their board's different. It's based off their grades almost solely. So if, you know, a consensus top 10 player for Mel Kiper and whomever else um, didn't grade that high per PFF, they could be as low as like a second round pick, right? So it just all depends on who you ask. And it all depends on what those people, those evaluators like in a certain player. I think there was the other one. Uh, again, I'm, I'm struggling with these sources, but it was very popular when we were going through the draft that trading, uh, maybe it was just the trade value chart, but it said something about the, the 37th and the 71st pick, the Chargers uh, packaged for 23 um, the Patriots won because actually the 31st or the 37th and the 71st pick were valued at the 11th overall pick. And someone brought up today to me that that doesn't make a lot of sense because are you telling me that because if, if 37 plus 71 equals the 11th overall pick, reverse it because it would have to be the other way around as well, that the 11th overall pick was worth the 37th and the 71st pick this draft. So as you as, as a GM, right? And you had the 11th overall pick. Would you ever be okay with trading uh, your 11th overall pick for a second and a third rounder? Yeah. I mean, I can't remember who it was, but I saw it and I was thinking about that too. And if we're kind of just factory into that, you can make, um, you know, arguments for both sides, but it's just like outside of just thinking of that formula, it's the fact that 
when you watched day two and you saw the talent and you saw these people that were mocked to the Chargers and you're wondering, like, do we know that Kenneth Murray is going to be this, like, difference maker? Because there are high expectations with him now. Like, mm-hmm. if you're giving up two day two selections for just one player and one linebacker, which obviously was a position of need, you better be, you know, one of the top linebackers for the next decade. That's what you're kind of just like basically rolling on because from what the Chargers are saying, the Tom Telesco, Anthony Lynn, they're making it seem like this guy is going to be in the organization for over the next 10 years. And you're looking at who is taken and you're really rolling the dice on those two selections just to get like one player. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, to some who maybe didn't do all the research and, and, and didn't watch all the film, but then also didn't do the deep dive stuff of understanding who Kenneth Murray is, um, his family life, his background, his upraising, and then reflecting that onto what Tom Telesco and Anthony Lynn like in their draft prospects, like that put him so high on their board, right? And we already know how much they love senior bowl participants and so experienced uh, community, you know, um, effort guys, guys who make an impact in, in all facets of their life. Um, they love those guys. And, and Murray wasn't a senior, but if he was a senior, you know, for sure he would have been at the senior bowl and he would have been loved just as much, you know, as a senior as he was this year. And, and that's what all the news was, right? That he blew everyone away in, in the interview process through the entire draft season. I think that was one of the notes that Ian Rappaport had just as like draft tidbits going into the, the draft this year was that, um, no one had a single negative thing to say about Kenneth Murray. And once you hear all that stuff, um, then it's not a surprise that Tom Telesco and, and Anthony Lynn um, made that decision. And at this point, you know, you know you're getting a great guy, but is his play, again, going to be what it needs to be to, to have that pick be worth it, right? So um, all good thoughts. We're going to go ahead and get into the players. Um, and I'm going to actually give this option to you. Do you want to start at seven and go up to one? Or do you want to start at one and go down to seven? Oh, let's just go ahead and start from the top. Start from the top? Okay. Yep. So six overall pick, Chargers took Justin Herbert. Some news came out today on um, the last 24 hours talking about how Telesco would have probably taken Tua if he was there at six. You know, he didn't believe the hype of the Dolphins potentially taking um, a tackle, but he kind of knew how it would play out. And what happened was Miami did take Tua and he took Herbert. So he's the quarterback of the future. You know, they've had interviews with Mario Cristobal as head coach over at Chargers Weekly. They've done all their research. They've um, done everything they can to paint Justin Herbert in the best light possible. I know the pick was polarizing. um, And I know recently, as of today, I saw that according to The Athletic, who um, they kind of held their own poll for the the best picks, the worst picks, and the most polarizing picks. Justin Herbert was among the most polarizing. And I think the stats were 23% voted him an A, while 17% voted him a D or an F. So opinions are very split on Justin Herbert right now. Why don't you go ahead and just give us your thoughts on the pick um, and any extra notes. I know you got your draft guide there, so hit us with anything you got. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and start with the final word that I had for Herbert to paint like a better picture of him so my final word this was before the chargers drafted him so i said if herbert possesses nfl style tools with his size athleticism arm talent intelligence along with above average accuracy but he needs to improve his decision making instincts and consistency 
and I had him projecting as NFL starter in a spread RPO heavy offense. So if you know me, I wrote an article back in January talking about why I call, I titled it just in time, why Herbert is the perfect replacement for rivers. And this was prior little bit, little bit before the Rose bowl game um, when Oregon uh, defeated the Wisconsin Badgers and Justin Herbert basically led the team with his legs, not his arm. And people still weren't buying into it because they're just like, he's not going to be worthy. He's not worthy of being an NFL quarterback. Yeah, he just won with his legs. But the one thing that stood out to me in that particular game was the ability to win with his legs. Cause that's something he did not do that much in 2019. It wasn't until the PAC 12 championship game against Utah and the Rose bowl where his head coach, uh, design more plays so that way he can show off his mobility whether it was just giving the team the best chance to win or to show to NFL evaluators that he's not just strictly his big arm um, and he definitely shined in that aspect but like I mentioned he's an extremely toolsy player he's got the size he's got the athleticism he's got the arm talent but he's gonna miss some throws and just his inconsistency under pressure just going through his progressions and just, you know, basically um, refining his decision-making, that's going to be what it is going to tell, like what it's going to tell um, his future in the NFL. And with the Chargers, he's in a good spot, you know, sitting under Tyrod Taylor for the 2020 season. You know, we don't know if the Chargers are going to put Herbert in there um, this upcoming season. Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Media said that, he would not be surprised if we don't see Herbert take a single snap. And I did write about that a little bit because I think it was Anthony Lynn that talked about it yesterday. And they're wondering, is Justin Herbert going to see the field? And he just said, it's Tyrod's team, but Herbert is going to offer competition. And the only way that we see Herbert on the field, in my opinion, is if Tyrod Taylor absolutely bombs it. If, Midway through the season, you know, he's not doing that well. That's the only way that I see Herbert getting out there. Other than that, I really view this as a situation where they're going to allow him to develop those inconsistencies to his game and make those strengths so that way he can become a, a complete quarterback come 2021 season. And that way, when he's ready to take the reins, he is caught up to speed. Now, I am a firm believer where – if you are a rookie quarterback, the only way to succeed is if you are getting snaps. So that's where this is another thing you have to think about. Like, are they going to get Herbert out there just to kind of see even if he goes through some lows, just that so we can get adapted to the NFL speed? Because if he waits till 2021 and he hasn't taken a single snap, there are definitely pros and cons to that. He's used to the college level. He flourished at that, at that level. But the NFL is a whole different monster and the only way he can do that is just get on the field. Of course there's preseason, but you're playing up against, you're playing against second, third stringers um, rather than actual live games when he could be playing against competition that he will be uh, going up against moving forward. So there's definitely pros and cons to allowing him play this upcoming season. But other than that, I, I like the pick. We kind of saw it coming. People are still torn on it, but there are certain games, um, you know, if you do want to go watch, like where he's really, really high, 
2018 Stanford is one where you can just get a good idea when he's on, he's on. And then this past season, uh, Arizona, uh, the Rose Bowl, if you want to see more with his legs, and Colorado is another one. And against lower competition, Montana and Nevada are up there too. But when Herbert's on, he's on. And um, I'm sure we'll talk about this in just a second of how we feel like the offense can tailor towards his strengths so that we, he can, we can just maximize his game completely and just unlock his true potential at the NFL level. Yeah, I want to touch on something. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, um, but I recently saw Chris Harry's, you know, host of the Chargers Weekly. He, he interviewed Mario Cristobal, the head coach uh, of Justin Herbert at Oregon. And a lot of people have pointed to how his passings obviously have been almost non-existent in his best games or his most important games, the toughest competition this past season. So that's Auburn, that's Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, that is um, Wisconsin, the Rose Bowl. Well, he was uh, – Coach Cristobal brought it up um, in the interview, and he pointed it that it's a good thing, right? Like you say, oh, you know, he, he couldn't throw against these guys. That's why his rushing numbers were great. Well, for Cristobal – and he acknowledged it. And I've heard some people say, well, it didn't seem like Herbert was able to get the keys to the offense entirely until the end of the season. And Chris Ball mentioned that that actually was the case. He, he said that they tried to kind of keep Herbert on his feet and protect him for the most part to get him through the season. And then they say when they got to the postseason, when they got to the Pac-12 game, Rose Bowl, that they kind of let him loose. And so I think when you look at his lack of passing numbers against those last two games in Utah and Wisconsin, that there's a chance that you shouldn't look at it as he couldn't throw, but he made the right decisions to win those games. You know, Wisconsin's a good defense. Um, Oregon has a good offensive line, but that Wisconsin front was really good with Chris Orr and Zach Bond. And, you know, and Justin against that defense wasn't maybe not comfortable throwing as much, but he was also confident enough and skilled enough to rush for three touchdowns, and it wasn't just short um, QB sneaks. The guy uh, faked people out. He stiff-armed guys. He outran them as well to the end zone. And so I think there's a lot more value to be had just in him as a player in general, his entire skill set when it comes to those late games than just him as a passer. And, yes, he's got to learn how to pass against good competition at the NFL, but there's a way for him to get comfortable and for him to be sex successful earlier in his career um, than just being a true pocket passer or, or doing what he's comfortable. So just want to point that out there. But then you mentioned as well that the, uh, the Chargers are probably more than likely going to tailor the offense to fit his skills. And I, I, I rewatched the, the presser with Lynn um, from a couple days ago, and he did touch on that. He said specifically, I don't want to have things be foreign for Justin when he gets here. And that means that, uh, you know, a lot of people are worried about him taking snaps under center. Well, Lynn was just like, I'm not going to force him to take snaps under center just because it's more of a, a pro style thing to take snaps under center. No, it's if they can keep him in shotgun and keep him in the pistol, which that has been a thing we saw with Tyrod Taylor during garbage time of uh, certain games this past season, that the pistol thing seems to be more of a thing that fits both Tyrod and Herbert moving forward. And I think you're going to see a lot of that. Herbert played a ton of pistol and shotgun at Oregon. So that looks to be the case. What are your thoughts on them uh, moving to a more pistol-based, uh, just you know, back from the line of scrimmage offense? And how do you think that will essentially help Herbert get more acclimated to the NFL and have him find success sooner rather than later? 
Yeah, so there was one article that ESPN Matt Bowen um, wrote, and I agreed with him completely because I had this, I had this written in notes prior to this article. So with what he said and what I kind of am going towards and what I believe is going to happen is we can expect like the Chargers to use more spread-based concepts, um, RPOs, giving him open window targets off mi mi misdirection and play action. And, um, you know, giving him the ability to just drive the ball on intermediate and vertical throws. But, um, you know, with him needing to develop his progressions, just his decision-making overall, they're going to put him in a spot where, you know, trying to get the ball out as quickly as possible and whether that's in the pocket or on the run. And, you know, with the additions of Trey Turner and Brian Balaga, makes you wonder, it's like, if he's going to be rolling to the right a lot, because obviously there's still questions at left tackle, but, you know, they want to get the ball out of his hands as quickly as possible. So they're going to do that, spread it out a little bit more, incorporate some RPOs, give him some open window targets off misdirection, play action. And um, one statistic that's pretty notable is that Herbert had 15 touchdowns and zero interceptions on go routes in 2019. So that was the second best ratio in the FBS. Pretty notable. But again, that's they're definitely going to tailor it towards him. And we can kind of see like a similar scheme, not the exact same scheme as like the Ravens use, um, like they do in like the passing attack that they did it in Buffalo too. But regardless, it's going to look a lot different than what it did last year, like, you know, over the past decade with Phillip Rivers under center. I think so as well. Um, I mean, they just have to, right? You, you don't want to, to think yeah. that they're, they're so um, just, you know, hard-headed that it's, it's trying to fit any sort of player into a scheme when um, it, it's got to be the other round. And, and Telesco and Lynn have done a good job of expressing that. I think that's the mindset they're going to have going into 2020. Um, okay, so that is a lot on Herbert, and I hope you guys. Um, one thing that ahead. I do want to add um, to that before we move on from Herbert is, people are going to bring up like, what about his missed throws? Whether it's just like mm -hmm. sailing right over their heads or it's in the ground, that's more of a mechanical thing. So it's just tying the upper and lower body mechanics together, and that's what's going to help his accuracy overall as a pro. So it has nothing to do with just like you know letting it loose. Like there are times, there's actually a lot of times where he'll guide the the ball. That's why they end up in the dirt. But like when they sail or he just misses completely, it's, it's a mechanical thing. And you can just see like from his upper body and lower body, they're not, necessar not, not necessarily in sync. And that's what leads to those questionable throws or like, you know, they're sailing into the stands. Um, not literally, but you get the point. He has a lot of misses and it's more so just from a mechanical standpoint. But having an offense coordinator like, Shane Steichen, who is a quarterback's coach, that may help mm -hmm. him elevate those um, issues that he has from that standpoint. Yeah, I agree. You'd like to think that that Lynn and the coaching staff will be able to, to, to beat some of those negatives out of him, right? And if it is a technical issue, they'll get that wrapped up, right? It's, if he's as, as hard of a worker, smart, as obviously everyone's making him out to be, he should be able to take a step back and realize that there's anything he can fix. And if he figures that out, he'll go fix it. Right. So, um, a lot on Justin Herbert, I hope that kind of enlightened a lot of people on, um, all the different aspects and, and viewpoints that people have had on Herbert and why he's such a, 
a polarizing prospect this season. But uh, moving on to another pick that in his own right has been a little polarizing, right? It's not so much him as a player, but what the Chargers did to go get him. And that's the Chargers second of their first round picks this year in linebacker Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma. Um, quick, you know, elevator pitch on Kenneth Murray is that he's one of the most athletic linebackers in this class, not named Isaiah Simmons. He is um, about 6'3", 240 plus pounds, ran a low 4'5". I mean, the guy can move what you hear is sideline to sideline range, the explosiveness, the power. Um, he is a wild child playing linebacker. And when that works out, that type of play style, it's really fun to watch. And it's hard to not want to root for him and, and root for a player that does play like that. He's also a phenomenal person, right? He is the son of a preacher and a former cop. He has uh, two siblings that were, uh, three siblings, excuse me, that they were adopted all together um, that have special needs. And they adopted all three because they didn't want to to separate those kids. And, and he takes pride in, in having helped raise those those kids. And he just does a lot of things that make you like a person in general, right? He's just built so well um, inside and out. So I'm going to throw this over to you. Give us your thoughts on the pick. Um, you can talk about whether or not it was worth a pick. I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, later anyway. But just give me your thoughts on Kenneth Murray, maybe where he fits in this defense and what you kind of expect from him um, early on in his career. Yeah, so Kenneth Murray is a guy that we all know for the past couple of years. So you turn on any Oklahoma tape, and Kenneth Murray is going to be the guy that stands out on that defensive side of the ball. So with Kenneth Murray, you know, you see the physicality, you see the play speed, and you also see the versatility at the position. Um, but there are certainly some weaknesses that he needs to work on. One of the things is his play recognition uh, against the pass and the run and just playing under control on a more consistent basis because you just see that even though he can um, get downhill quickly, he does over-pursue ball carriers and takes inconsistent angles. Um, that's something that needs to be cleaned up because we talk about him. He's definitely an explosive tackler, but and he, and he brings it to them. But when you're not uh, taking clean angles and you're just clearly whipping on the player, that is not good. But – with Murray, you see the speed against the run and, and the pass, and that's one thing that people will talk about is him in the pass. Sure, he does have some awareness issues in man and zone coverage, but when he did cover, he makes up with it with the, just his pure athleticism to stick with running backs out of the backfield, and he wasn't used in that role as much, so that's why there's just – things that remain to be seen, but he is capable of running with running backs, tight ends um, at the next level. And another thing that he does offer is the ability to play um, on the edge to rush the passer, just given his explosiveness, uh, his speed, just his get off quickness, it all adds up and he's definitely able to add that element too. So he's just a complete linebacker, but he does have weaknesses to his game that need to be polished. And, you know, we look at this pick and wonder, like, was he worth trading up to the first round? I'm still trying to figure out that answer. I do get it from that standpoint. He flourished throughout his uh, collegiate career. And I know that he impressed the coaching staff and front office in the pre-draft process with the, um, the interviews. And that's what I definitely think um, completely bought, uh, bought them in to Murray. So 
they needed speed on the defensive side of the ball. We knew that they were looking to find a Thomas Davis replacement and they didn't want to wait around till the second round or they didn't feel like another player fit that or offer that same style of play even better than Davis. Um, Cause obviously with Thomas Davis, he's an aging veteran. It's just hard to compare those two, but they wanted a guy who they view as a, um, a player that can be, uh, you know, play that role for over the next decade. So that's why mm-hmm. with Murray, he's a fast player. Um, he can play the run really well. He could offer value as a blitzer. Um, he can run with positional players in coverage, but there are just things that he needs to work on, including his instincts in, against the run and in coverage, as well as just being able to sometimes just calm down to avoid uh, over-pursuing ball carriers. So, yeah, great player, but I still haven't figured out if it was worth um, trading up for Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I, I talked to you about this earlier uh, before we started recording, but I mentioned how a lot of the big name analysts really did nail the player that is Kenneth Murray. And that's uh, the pros, the positives are the athleticism, the explosiveness, the sideline to sideline range. Um, but his negatives are real. It's the, the overgression that can lead to missed tackles. It is um, lowering his head inside contact um, and, and losing ball carriers. It is um, not being the most instinctual, in, in coverage and um, why the pick so polarizing is that you look at what he can do and his positives and you're like, wow, like that's someone that the chargers needed. But you got to take a step back and realize what is kind of the move in the NFL right now when it's linebackers that can cover just as well as they can stop the run. Right. Um, and because it's a pass happy league, you know, this is a division that has Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs in it. It's also the division where the Raiders and the Broncos added a lot of speed and athleticism at the wide receiver spots and to combat what the Broncos, uh, Raiders and and the chiefs are right now, you would have thought the chargers maybe have grabbed a better linebacker in coverage or something like that. Like just like a pure one-on-one defense towards those types of players that the rest of the division drafted this past weekend. Um, but like Kenneth Murray is the, the athlete is exactly what you want, right? It's the speed, it's the strength, it's everything. You can keep up with tight ends, you can keep up with running backs. Um, but it's just those little minor things that kind of lose you on him. You just can't like, because the Chargers just witnessed a lot of missed tackles, some miscues on defense, almost to the point where it was obviously you want to run your head through the door. It's why they wanted Thomas Davis out. It's why people are confused as to why Anthony Lynn loves, you know, Rayshon Jenkins so much and calls him elite because there's just these things that happen that you just wouldn't expect from a starting caliber player in the NFL. And unfortunately, Murray has those things throughout his tape. Just as much as he has the good, he has the bad. I don't know the coaching 
at Oklahoma. I don't know if he was told to do certain things that when you don't have the context may look weird to some people watching the film, whether that's him firing through gaps and tucking his head and watching the running back run right by him, whether it's when he does that, the offensive lineman uses his momentum against him and just makes him a non-factor, right? It's, he has the opportunity and the ability to be so disruptive, but it's like he's just missing these minor details to finish these disruptive plays. And again, hopefully the, the coaching staff and everyone figures out how to, to get the most out of him. Because if anything, I think he plays that will spot. I don't think he can handle contact right away. Um, one of the plays that, that comes to mind is a QB draw uh, versus Baylor in their um, Big 12 championship game where Jamichael Hasty was the lead blocker for uh, Charlie Brewer. And Jamichael Hasty like hit Murray. And it wasn't like a crazy hit or anything, but Murray kind of like stopped and like, paused enough that Brewer ran by him. And it was just weird because you're like, Jermichael Hasty's not that big and didn't look like he tried hard with that hit. And at the same time, Murray didn't look like he tried hard trying to, to shock the lead blocker, shake him off, and then try to make this play. It was just kind of weird. And as many times as Kenny makes, Kenneth Murray makes these plays where he's just incredible, blows your mind, it's why people love him. He has some plays that kind of leave you wanting more. And that's all I'm going to say on that because we can go back and forth about Kenneth Murray. Um, Heck of a player, heck of a guy, has what it takes to be really successful at the NFL if just molded and tightened correctly. Um, And I hope this this coaching staff is able to do that. Um, Moving on to fourth-round pick. Obviously did not have a third due to the trade to get Murray. Um, The Chargers drafted running back Joshua Kelly out of UCLA, hometown kid. We kind of thought the Chargers were going to get a big running back, right? A, a short um, yardage goal line type back to really help with the efficiency of the rushing in the end zone. Um, he is kind of that type of guy, but he can also do a lot more things. And so I think it's wrong to, to pigeonhole him into just he's a big back change of pace type player. So um, you have some, some thoughts on Joshua Kelly. So why don't you go ahead and give me those. Yeah, so when I put together my draft guide and after going through my evaluations, Joshua Kelly finished as my 75th ranked player on my top 100 big board. I gave him a third-round grade, and uh, what I had to say about him was Kelly possesses quickness, burst, lateral agility, contact balance, along with passing game ability to make defenders respect him. However, he lacks breakaway speed and needs refinement in pass protection, and I projected him as an NFL starter by year two. So we have a lot of fans that are really upset with this. You know, we've heard them say like, oh, you know, it's bad value. They should have taken him fifth round, even seventh round. Well, I can guarantee you that Joshua Kelly was not going to be there um, in rounds five, six, and seven. So that's why the Chargers took him. Now, people are wondering, okay, why are we taking a running back this early? Obviously, with Melvin Gordon gone, we still have Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. Can they make up the backfield? Absolutely. Could they have picked someone up later on in the draft or, you know, UDFA? Absolutely. But they saw Joshua Kelly. He was in their backyard. They saw him play. They knew what he could do. They saw the production in just 43 games, you know, rushing 647 times for 3,442 yards and 31 touchdowns. And just seeing him do well at the senior bowl, they feel like they have something in this guy. Nowadays, people are being knocked for taking a running back, you know, in the first round, let alone round two. 
and they're waiting until the, the mid rounds. If the Chargers are passing up on offensive linemen, wide receivers, um, you know, and they never quarterbacks in the fourth round when they have these holes to fill and they take a running back, they clearly see potential in this guy. Everyone's viewing him as a power back. He's only going to see five to ten snaps. I feel like they think they have something with this guy, with Joshua Kelly. I feel like they think he can be the feature back having any down potential. And that's why, like, even though this pick is questionable, people are still wondering, like, oh, running back in the fourth round when we could have taken a tackle. Sure, I was pretty upset, mainly just because Ben Barch, and if you know me, I'm the biggest Ben Barch fan, he was still on the board. He went four picks later to the Jaguars. And I really thought watching the Chargers pick that they were going to take Ben Barch. And kind of just going out a little off topic, Telesco did happen to say there was an offensive lineman uh, available in one of their picks, but they decided to go a different direction. I still believe that's Ben Barch. <laughs> but I don't want to get too much into that. I want to go back to Joshua Kelly. You know, he's not going to break away in the open field. He has some speed. He's he's not quick. He's not fast. He's quick. So that's the best way to describe him. But, you know, he takes care of the football. That's one thing with Melvin Gordon. He put the ball on the ground too much for our liking. Just Joshua Kelly's the definition of a well-rounded back. And I feel like he can produce and be effective at the next level. And that's why, you know, if they want to keep Austin Eckler in the role that they do, lining up in, lining him up in the slot, lining him up out wide, they need a feature back. Now with Justin Jackson, you know, people will say, well, isn't he the feature back? I don't, we don't know. You know, Justin Jackson didn't play that much last year because of an injury. And usually when they take a player that high, they see his production, they see what he's capable of doing. There could be something that lies a little bit deeper with this injury that Justin Jackson had, which makes me believe that Joshua Kelly could be their guy. He could replace um, Melvin Gordon as that feature back. And I wouldn't be surprised if he is that, you know, as early as his rookie season. Sure, he's going to be great in short yardage situations, you know, put him in the fourth quarter and just let him eat up clock, pick up yards, but he's more than that. And I did see that at the Senior Bowl. So like I mentioned, he needs to work on pass protection. I saw him stymie defenders, and I was like, oh, shoot, this is something he did not do well in, uh, in college. But he just showed that he is a well-rounded back, and he does all three phases of the position really, really well. And um, I think, like I've been saying here, is that he could become the feature back for the Chargers at least by year two. I, I think I have to agree. I, I warmed up to the pick a lot. Um, a lot of people were down on the pick because, what, they, they were offensive tackles that – I mean, multiple offensive tackles that would have been just fine taken at the top of four. The Chargers went with Josh Kelly, and a lot of people probably said the same thing, which was if it was just even like a round later, right, you would have really enjoyed it. But um, if we're correct, then he was a valuable piece that someone probably would have snagged up before – five, six, or the seventh round. Um, I think that Josh Kelly does have a pretty good path to some form of contributing or contributing, excuse me, uh, this year. Justin Jackson, I think the pick was due to Jackson's lack of consistent health in his first two seasons. Justin Jackson has been really good when he's on the field and healthy. Unfortunately, like 
things have happened and he's missed quite a, a lot of time. And for a former seventh round pick, your, your leash is a lot short, right? Um, and so I agree with you. I think that uh, Kelly's has a pretty good path to working in and getting the majority of those snaps in terms of the complementary role to Austin Eckler. And when you kind of go around the NFL and keeping in mind that, that Anthony Lynn wants to run the football, he wants to run it well and more than he did the last couple of seasons that he's had Phillip Rivers. You look at the, the teams that do a good job running the football. Okay, so teams like the Ravens come to mind, the, the Vikings come to mind, the, the Patriots, you know, weren't the most, you know, rushing heavy team, but they have a stable of running backs that, that were all trustworthy, right? Even the Chiefs, you throw the ball a ton. Besides Damien Williams, you have, I think it's Darrell Williams, the former LSU running back, and they've got guys who, when Damien's out, they can step in, and those guys can still run or catch the ball just as well. So when you look at how, even though running back value isn't what it used to be, right? the value of having of still having multiple running backs on your team that are trustworthy, that when your starter comes out, you don't miss a beat having this other guy on the field, I think is huge. You see that with when Mark Ingram's not on the field in Baltimore, it's Gus Edwards. When Dalvin Cook has to take a break from Minnesota, you've got Alexander Madison, right? It's just, it doesn't matter who's in, the offense still goes. And I think that's incredibly important. And I think the Chargers have kind of haven't had that uh, when their top guys aren't there. You know, uh, Troy Main Pope gets in there and just doesn't do just nearly as good of a job. And so I, I do think it's very important to have a good set of complimentary backs, two, even three sometimes. It may not be good for fantasy purposes. It's still pretty good for IRL purposes. Um, so I agree. Kelly, so much potential there. It's not what we wanted at the time, but he's a great player at a position that will help this team win. Um, and I, I think, again, positivity is key uh, with a running back in the fourth. Moving on to pick five. And this was a pick that personally I didn't see coming. Not so much the, the, the position, but the player. I didn't do a lot of research on Joe Reed, the receiver, kick returner out of Virginia that the Chargers took top of the fifth. Um, I didn't know much about him. But it didn't take long for me to really warm up to this guy almost instantaneously. I throw on the film. First couple things I see is he's not like the most refined route runner, but he wins in the manner of the way Anquan Bolden did, which is really good physicality through the catch point. It doesn't, he doesn't need a ton of separation, but he's going to go up and get the ball. He's also very versatile. He talked about that, uh, that the Chargers told him he will be used in a, a, a few manner of ways, similar to Austin Eckler, right? Uh, out wide, backfield, slot, just around the formation. Um, he's built like Debo Samuel. That's what people keep saying, right? It's, it's a six foot five eleven type receiver. That's 215 to 225 pounds. Like that's kind of the new mold of your offensive weapon, um, in today's, uh, NFL. And I really wanted the Chargers to get a player like this. I wanted a guy they can pair with Eckler. So when you put these two guys on the field, they can be literally moved anywhere. It gives you uh, extremely like fluid formation, um, just opportunities, right. To have, a tight end, both of them on the field, and two wide receivers. Well, I don't know how many different formations you can do. It doesn't matter who's in the backfield, who's out wide, whatever. Um, I think it's, it's a great way to take advantage of, of defenses who don't actually know what you're doing. Um, and so I am super stoked about this pick. He's also really good at returning kicks, one of the best in the country. I think Pro Football Focus had him as the best kicker turner in the country, one of only uh, – I think he's the only player in FBS history to have over 3,000 kick return yards. 
which that's all there is to kind of tell about the guy five return touchdowns over his three seasons at Virginia or in the last three seasons at Virginia. Uh, give us your thoughts. Yeah. So Joe Reed was the guy that I actually didn't get around to wa- uh, watching. Um, I ended up creating about 27 wide receivers, but he just missed the list. But obviously after the draft or after the pick, I went ahead and watched a little bit of his tape and then completely watched like four games right after the draft. So with Reed, obviously speed was the focal point. Reed does bring that, but he doesn't bring it in the manner that everyone was anticipating with like a Travis Benjamin where you're going to win over the top uh, vertically. So he's more of a guy where you're going to give Reed the ball um, in space in in short situations, he's going to turn those short gains into big ones. Um, he does have the speed to win, um, to be a deep threat. So I think he ran, what did he run? Like a four, four, eight or four, four, seven or something like that. Four, four, seven. Yep. So yeah, he does have the speed to be a deep threat, but he wasn't used, um, in that capacity at Virginia. He was more of just a yards after the catch weapon. So, with that, we're going to kind of like see him in a variety of roles similar to Debo Samuel, like Michael mentioned. So he's going to be like that running back, mm-hmm. wide receiver, hybrid. So in the slot, out wide, even just in the backfield. And similar to Debo Samuel, like the – so we're not saying he's not – he's the player that Debo Samuel is. We're just talking about how they're going to use him, how they're going to fit him in the offense. So he's going to be involved in sweeps, shovel, shovel passes, slant routes, just a lot of stuff um, – going on with Reed at the time of course people were wondering okay how fast is he he's four four seven so he can definitely win with speed but he's not going to be a guy that's going to go deep the entire time they're going to get creative with him and use him in a role that they did similar to Eckler last year but overall um, this offense is going to be really fun with the pieces that they have um, and they're able to acquire from the draft and you know they were able to get one later on um, a couple rounds later which we will get to in a little bit but I do get the idea I understand why they picked Reed and obviously they've struggled to find a consistent return specialist and Reed does bring that so he'll be competing with Darius Jennings for the punt and kick returner role so that should be definitely fun to watch uh, play out. Yeah, It was strange to see um, in that fifth round that um, there was a, the run on like kick returners and punt returners. Um, Minnesota took KJ Osborne, who for me, uh, I never heard of, to be honest. And, and a lot of people who had like consensus big boards and stuff like that were like, he's, you know, he was rated like in the three hundreds somewhere, but Minnesota took him at like one fifty something. Right. Um, so I, I think the chargers lucked out and were able to pull the trigger on a guy who was a versatile offensive weapon, who was still one of those best returners in the country left kind of at that point um, in the draft. So love it. Absolutely love the Joe Reed pick. The more I watch him, the more um, I fall in love with him. The, the biggest thing you talked about it was his yards after catch, yards after contact ability. Um, when, you know, the first game I, I, I put on, uh, I think two out of his five or six catches that he had, he caught like short hitches that were um, short of the line, uh, excuse me, the first down mark. And he just made one, two moves, strung them together really smoothly. And he got the first down, like, And we'll talk about it with KJ Hill as well, but sometimes good football players make things look easy like that. Like it doesn't matter if they catch it uh, short of the first down, they know exactly what to do in that situation to contort their body and, and lean and get over 
this first down mark. And I think that's something that Joe Reed has that I'm just super stoked about just having a, a type of player like that in this offense. And uh, we're almost done here going on to the sixth round pick Alohi Gilman safety out of Notre Dame. This was probably everyone's least favorite pick of the entire draft class. Uh, it was confusing. He's a safety that um, the Chargers didn't technically need at first. That's what you're thinking. They have a bunch of safeties, a bunch of defensive backs who can play all different types of positions within that secondary. But we kind of came around to the idea that Gilman is essentially a premium pick used to replace some of the team's best special teamers, whether that was Derek Watt, Nick Zubner, um, Adrian Phillips, who will be missed. He's now with the Patriots. Like, that type of player who can have a role potentially on defense, but makes his money being really good at covering kicks and just in general contributing a lot on special teams. Um, what are your thoughts on Gilman? Do you think he is someone who can play actual snaps on defense? Or do you think this was just Lynn really focusing on special teams help and being willing to put an actual draft pick into that position? Or was it Telesco taking his notorious Notre Dame player like he does every year? So it's funny, when I was writing up Gilman, I was just like, what are the chances that charges are going to take him? And I put in the fit likelihood that it was medium because I was close to putting high. Um, but, you know, a guy like Chase Claypool, a wide receiver who was obviously at a position of need, that one was a guy that I thought they were going after. But here we are with Gilman. He was the Notre Dame, the annual Notre Dame pick. And it does make sense uh, from a Chargers perspective. So in college, he was a great leader. Um, and that's one thing that they look for, obviously, is just his character. So he led that Notre Dame, or he helped lead that Notre Dame, Notre Dame defense. Uh, he was a great communicator. But on the field, um, I think that Gilman has a physicality. He's got the instincts high football IQ uh, around the short and intermediate levels of the field. But, you know, however, he just lacks pure athleticism and it shows in man coverage and just the deeper parts of the field. So you, when I was projecting him, I feel like he fits best as a strong safety, a sub package defender, and obviously a core special teamer. So with the Chargers, what are we looking at here? Year one, um, Assuming that he, he makes the team, which I think he will because uh, they spend a draft pick on, he is going to be a special teams ace. Um, is he going to get on the field? I'm not too sure. However, I just wouldn't be surprised if he ends up playing that Adrian Phillips role down the road. Um, I don't know if it's going to be his rookie season or even year two, but he just seems like a type of guy that they want to keep around for a long time, just given his personality uh, his play style and what he can do on special teams. But there are just so many things on the field and the defensive side of the ball that he needs to work on to actually get uh, playing time. So like we mentioned, just the lack of athleticism in man coverage and just a deeper part of the field shows um, he, he lacks ball skills as well, but you know, he could be a, a contributor eventually if, he works on that because he has the instincts to, to defend the run. He's better coming downhill. Um, he's the type of guy that like, when you look at the stat sheet, he tallied up the tackle column. That doesn't necessarily mean that he was making plays in, in front of him. There are 
actually a lot of instances where he the ball carrier is already five to ten yards down the field and he's just relying on effort and a, and a high motor to chase them down so that's why he's not a perfect prospect he is not adrian phillips but they're hoping that they could probably develop him into into that type of role so that way he might be that replacement but for now i expect desmond king to man that role but we can expect Lohi gilman to be a contributor on special teams in his rookie season he was disruptive in his own way. You're right that the uh, the natural instincts you want in a safety, regardless if he's going to play this dime linebacker role, um, he does need to work on some of his coverage game. Uh, looking at some of his stats here, he did have uh, six forced fumbles over his last two seasons um, at Notre Dame, which isn't too bad. Did have three interceptions, only eight pass breakups, uh, did have six tackles for loss, only a single sack to his name. I mean, did a lot of different things. You look at that stat sheet and you're like, okay, I, I get why he's um, looked at as a potential dime linebacker. He's, he, he does fly around the ball. He does play a little wild child as well. Um, so the pros and cons of that are real in his game. Um, I, I do need to watch a little more to kind of paint the whole picture on him. But I think so far we've kind of nailed what that pick is on the head. Um, and then rounding this whole thing out might be everyone's favorite pick, or at least, you know, in terms of value. And, and this was the one pick this year where everyone kind of was like, oh, we actually got him because there were all these players available that we wanted at, you know, pick four, five, six, that they just kept passing on these people that we thought were better or more, uh, you know, and, and were available at the time. And then round seven comes. And on our live draft show, we, you know, our streams are a little behind, you know, we're not getting it live on the TV screen. But at the time, Chargers were up seventh round, and all of us were like, you know what, KJ Hill would be amazing here. Everyone said KJ Hill. Uh, my favorite, you know, wish list right now would be KJ Hill. And then someone on the stream, I think it was Daniel Stebbins, freaked out and was like, it's KJ Hill. And everyone goes, what? You're kidding me. No way. And he's just like, yeah, it's KJ Hill. So this was one pick that we finally got it kind of got to hoot and holler with and really enjoy and kind of savor this moment of they really did what we all wanted them to do. And so um, this pick is huge. And I went and watched, I want to say maybe three or four games of his, uh, I think three from his past season, one against TCU in 2018. He is really similar to Keenan Allen in that the way they win is the same. And it wasn't surprising after seeing the film and then hearing him say himself that he watches Keenan Allen film. Like that's one of the biggest things that he watches in terms of preparation and bettering himself. And they win the exact same way. KJ Hill is not an athletic phenom by any means. He ran a four, six His jumping and his agility weren't that great. We're all pretty middle of the road testing, but he wins despite all of this stuff. He left Ohio state as the school's all-time leader in receptions. He caught 10 touchdowns last season. He has 20 total in his career. He's only got two uh, honorable mention nominees to the all big 10 squad over the last two seasons. But regardless of like, without putting up huge um, receiving, you know, yardage numbers and, and tons of touchdowns, I think he did what he could within the Ohio state offense that does have a lot of mouths to feed. They do spread the wall around a lot. Um, he just simply wins. His route running is amazing. I wasn't at the senior bowl. You were, you got to see, that uh, you got to see his route running on display. You know, there's still a clip of him running a route in one-on-ones against, I believe it was Lavert Hill from Michigan. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that people are still pointing at and going, wow, this route is filthy. Wow, this guy has some serious moves. 
Like he's a charger now. And I think he is, is the runaway favorite to potentially win that wide receiver three position and be potentially a really consistent and reliable target for Justin Herbert or Tyrod Taylor and whoever is under center in 2019. Um, are, do you feel the same way? Give us your thoughts on Hill. Oh, absolutely. I think he's the front runner to win the third wide receiver role. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on the outside and they put KJ Hill in the slot. Um, but again, you pretty much uh, hit the nail on, on everything right there. And you, you, it, it's still just mind-blowing that he was available in the seventh round. Because you'd think that these NFL teams would get the, the Terry McLaurin effect. Obviously, he slipped to the third round and he produced. Ohio State produces quality wide receivers because they have their wide receiver coach is Brian Hartline, who played in the league, but now he's just a phenomenal coach. So I don't think – well, you know, Ohio State does have two quality receivers going into next year, and I don't think that they're going to make the same mistake. But like you mentioned, he's got the technical finesse. He's got the route running skills. He's got the ball skills. He's a playmaker after the catch. Um, he's not fast, but he's quick. He's got that short area of quickness, and he's just able to find the soft spots in the, in the zone. And whether it's Tyrod Taylor, Justin Herbert, they're going to be targeting him a lot, and he's going to be catching everything. And I could just see this being Herbert's best friend for the long haul. Um, I just see them connecting quite a bit. And, you know, shoot, we even forget about Hunter Henry too. So that's another option right there. So you have four quality pass catching options and that's why it's going to be just a lot of fun like this offense is going to be a lot of fun and then you have just that option with joe reed being able to do anything you know being involved on these sweeps but with kj hill you just throw him out there in the slot let him do his thing and he's going to get open and he's going to catch everything so that's why this value is phenomenal um he's a guy that we were talking about taking in the fourth round with our, our first selection um, in the fourth round, but he was available there in, in the seventh round for, for whatever reason. I don't think that there was any negatives or off the field issues with him. He was just a clean player. Uh, he did really, really well at Ohio state and was arguably the best wide receiver at the senior bowl. So yeah, it, it's a steal and you can't argue any other selection being the steal for the chargers because he did everything um, to, to prove that he can be a very solid wide receiver at the next level. And learning from Keenan Allen on just the route running prowess, it's going to be amazing of what he can turn into. So I wouldn't be surprised if down the road he's going to just basically fill in for Keenan Allen and flourish and just earn all these accolades. I think there's something in his future like that as well if, if he sustains any sort of consistency that he did Ohio State into the NFL I believe so and, and for those of you listening that maybe still have some form of PTSD from watching Travis Benjamin in this offense I, I forget to note on this and I think it's very important and it's a really fun fact to hear and that's uh, Joe Reed and KJ Hill both have never dropped a pass or I believe at least it was in 2019 but they never dropped a single pass that was thrown 20 plus yards downfield. So if that doesn't make you guys feel some sort of way about what they could potentially do for this offense in terms of making it more efficient and explosive, um, I don't know what does, uh, but that's super, super great to hear. You know, obviously Travis Benjamin was what he was. He wasn't the deep threat for the chargers. And uh, thankfully 
and unfortunately, um, they did have to let him go. Um, Gavino, that about wraps things up here on today's show. Any final thoughts overall that you want to get across about what this draft class can do and any lasting thoughts that you want the listeners to have uh, going forward as they do their own research involving this draft class? So when evaluating who's going to have like immediate contribution, we can definitely see some on the offensive side of the ball. So I expect Joshua Kelly to get touches early on. Um, We can expect Joe Reed to be involved in this offense early on. And we can expect KJ Hill to be involved in this offense early on and make a positive impact with Justin Herbert. Obviously he's not going to start week one, um, even though Anthony Lynn did say that it was going to be a competition for the starting quarterback role. uh, I would, you know, doubt it. Like if he started, I don't know. It's obviously that Tyrod Taylor got hurt or something really bad happened, but we can expect Tyrod to be the starter. It'll be perfect situation for Justin Herbert And then as far as the other only selection, Alohi Gilman, he will make a contribution on special teams, but um, I don't expect him to see him earning that many snaps on the defensive side of the ball. So regardless, that is – am I missing anyone here? Joshua Kelly, Joe Reed, KJ Hill, Alohi Gilman. We are going to see three players, I believe, if I'm correct. Or am I missing someone? Joshua Kelly – KJ Hill, um, Joe Reed. Why do I feel like I'm missing Murray? Herbert? You're going to talk about Oh, my gosh. I'm already (laughs) missing Murray. Wow. (laughs) Four out of six players are going to make immediate contribution. I don't know why I'm, like, missing Murray. Obviously, I think he was a great selection. And like I mentioned earlier, I still am trying to figure out if I think um, trading up for him was a good decision only time will tell with that one because it's just going to depend on what he does on the field on what he did at Oklahoma. Great stuff. But um, again, there are so many other linebackers out there that could have probably made a positive impact, but we're talking with Murray. He's going to be earning um, all pro accolades and then potentially future hall of famer. Who knows? But regardless, if you're trading up for a guy, you obviously believe in him and we'll just have to see with Murray. So, I overall four to four out of the six guys who are going to make immediate contribution, um, whether that's on the offensive or defense side of the ball. So we should definitely be excited about that um, going into the upcoming season. Really want to thank you guys for coming in and listening to the latest episode of chargers lately. I'm actually having to record this, this ending after the fact, I've had to actually edit out the old ending because I was attacked by my cat and there was just a lot of weird noises and I just couldn't keep a straight face to end it normally. So that's why the interview with Cavino ended abruptly and uh, this is the new ending. So again, really appreciate you guys coming in, listening to today's show. Really hope you enjoyed everything. Cavino Borquez of Chargers Wire of USA Today was my guest today. Um, go follow him as well on Twitter at Gavino Borquez. Uh, go read his work. It is some of the best on the Chargers around the internet. Guys, whether you listen to your podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, go on, leave a review, five-star review, hopefully. Um, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like. Subscribe, follow, all that stuff. Um, on Twitter, I am at Zone Tracks. That's spelled Z-O-N-E-T-R-A-C-K-S. Again, my, my name is Michael Peterson, and I will see you guys later this week. <laughs>